You've tuned in to the Roundtable Dialogues. This week's topic, Transmedia Storytelling, with Robert Pratton, Andrea Phillips, J.C. Hutchins, and Amanda Havard, and co-hosted by Matthew Wayne Selznick. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Matthew Wayne Selznick. And you've tuned in to the second installment of a, of a new tradition here at the Roundtable Podcast, the Roundtable Dialogues. Where each dialogue episode is a gathering of astonishing individuals, like the folks we have here today, That's right. to discuss the opportunities and challenges in the new world of storytelling. Absolutely. And before we dive into that, uh, uh, Matt, I am so grateful that you have stepped up to be my wingman for this episode. Uh, dear friends, I, I, I need to let you know, if you're not familiar with the awesomeness that is Matthew Wayne Selznick, he is a creator who weaves words, music, and images into evocative tapestries of delight. Uh, he is the author of the popular Sovereign Era story world, which includes Brave Men Run, the recently successfully crowdfunded Pilgrimage, and other works. Uh, he is a much-in-demand consultant for do-it-yourself creative endeavors and independent publishing. You can find all of his awesomeness at MWS Media, where he offers a veritable cornucopia of freelance creative services to everyone from independent authors to entertainment industry moguls. Uh, so, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much, man. I'm, I am pleased and honored to have you at my side for this. This is a, a pleasure for me, Dave. I mean, to be in the uh, Ed McMahon chair is uh, it's quite an honor. <laughs> yeah, tell me. I know, right? It's it's you know all we need is Doc Severinsen to start playing some tunage, and and we're all, we're all set up. <laughs> um, well, let me let me introduce to you this 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 cast of luminaries that we have gathered for our discussion today. And and friends, the topic on the table is transmedia storytelling. What it is, why it's cool, and how you can use it to make your stories even more awesome than they already are. Um, and I've decided that the, the, the fairest way to do this is to dis, is to introduce everyone in order of geographical distance from me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to start off by introducing Amanda Havard. Uh, among her many talents as artist, songster, and innovator, uh, Amanda is the author of the Survivors series, which includes Survivors, Point of Origin, and the recently released least body and blood and she is the creator of the immerse edition trademark interactive book <laughs> application uh, and dear friends we will definitely make sure that we direct you to more information about that bit of awesomeness amanda thank you for making the time and joining us tonight Thanks so much for being here. That was quite an intro. Oh Thanks. man, I, I I'm known for these things, Amanda. This is this is this is my trademark of badassery. Um, next on the geographical list of distance is Andrea Phillips. Uh, now Andrea has been active as a transmedia game designer and storyteller since 2001, which. I think actually maybe before transmedia actually existed, uh, participating in or leading the development of such creations as Perplex City, Routes, and the 2012 Experience, which was a marketing campaign for the film 2012, which, by the way, I participated in and was utterly awesome. Uh, she's also a founding member of the International Game Developers Association's Special Interest Group on Alternate Reality Games and the author of A Creator's Guide to Transmedia Storytelling. And as if that weren't enough, she is also uh, the author of the year-long fiction serial called The Daring Adventures of Captain Lucy Smokeheart. Now, while I have not read of these adventures, the name Lucy Smokeheart has captured my imagination, <laughs> and I will totally be there. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh my gosh, I think you just gave me a panic attack from all of these things that I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thank you. You're very well. It's amazing how it stacks up, isn't it? It is. I've, I've, I've never actually, I think, talked to a player for the 2012 project that I didn't know before, so I'm, I'm totally going to want to grill you about that. At oh, some point absolutely. In the future. <laughs> absolutely. Count on it. Count on it. Um, Woo! <laughs> now, 
farther out in the deep in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains, uh, we have J.C. Hutchins. Uh, now, this gentleman crafts award-winning transmedia narratives, screenplays, and novels for such entertainment companies as A&E, Cinemax Discovery, St. Martin's Press, and Harebrained Schemes. Uh, now, he began as a, quote, new media novelist, uh, utilizing podcasting, social media, and crowdsourcing for the creation and distribution of his much-acclaimed Seventh Son thriller novels, which continue to echo and reverb through the potosphere. Uh, now, his 2009 novel, uh, Personal Effects, Dark Art, which was co-written with Jordan Weissman, is presently in development as a Stars TV series with Gore Verbinski executive producing, which, holy crap, that's awesome. Uh, and he recently collaborated with film directors David Cronenberg and Lance Wheeler on a transmedia experience that, unfortunately, we'll just have to wait because it's going to debut a little later this year. JC, holy crap, man. Thank you so much, and, and wonderful to have a fellow Coloradan uh, on the line. I used to live in Colorado, so so thank you uh, for, for bringing that, that mile-high vibe vibe to the discussion hey it's my rocky mountain fever how how the, how the hell are you sir and thank you so much for having me it's a, <laughs> it's an absolute honor and pleasure to to be here with you and with uh, so many uh, other terrific people in the transmedia storytelling space i'm honored i know i i am too i'm giddy i'm positively giddy like a schoolgirl. which brings us to uh, uh our farthest reaching gentleman master robert pratton now, in addition to being an experienced marketing consultant with over two decades of experience, uh, he's also an internationally recognized expert in the field of intelligent networks and advised companies uh, like Lucent Technologies. Now, this is, this is very cool. Back in 1999, he left a European consultancy gig to attend the London Film School, which, for me personally, I think earns him major points in the follow your bliss category of life choices. Uh, and it must have been an awesome choice, because since then he's written, produced, and directed two award-winning, critically acclaimed feature films, London Voodoo and Mind Flesh, which just... The name alone creeps me out, uh, So, and I'm all over that. Um, he has established himself as a thought leader in the field of transmedia storytelling, making profound contributions in the areas of new business models, development processes, and documentation. He is the author of the book, Getting Started in Transmedia Storytelling, a practical guide for beginners, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Transmedia Storyteller Limited, uh, an audience engagement company and the provider of conductor a pervasive entertainment platform rob i i cannot tell you how grateful i am that you were able to join us for this discussion thank you sir no thank you thanks for uh, inviting me it's very nice to be here absolutely well let's 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 not mince any words let's dive right into it uh uh and and last introduced is first asked so uh uh rob i'm gonna ask you sir um just for our listeners who maybe have heard of transmedia and, and might have some misconceptions or have no clue whatsoever, uh, would you be so kind of start us off and what, what is transmedia storytelling? What are its qualities? Well, my definition would be, simply put, just telling a story across multiple platforms, but doing it in a way that the more the audience, the more the readers uh, consume, then the better they feel about it. So that each, um, each platform is additive so for example what it wouldn't be is writing a book and then adapting that book into a screenplay because if you've read the book you go and see the movie and it's always going to be disappointing so what you would do is there would be a story world you take the characters the locations the the, uh, the themes and the ideas from that book and write something new but in the same story world so now when i've after i've read the book i go and see the movie and it expands my enjoyment and expands my knowledge of these characters and that and that world okay does it have to be of a different media type uh well that would be um that would be transmedia storytelling. <laughs> good point yes okay <laughs> that that, uh, that does kind of uh, uh, define the the issue yeah okay awesome uh, jc what about you sir for you what is transmedia what are its qualities Oh, I'm just going to ride um, Robert's coattails on there. I thought that was a really well-articulated and concise kind of way of describing it. Uh, for me, um, it all goes back to story and storytelling and 
and the the kind of the creative notion of a story world, uh, a place that um, you know, a fictional place that can exist not only in you know one major media like like film, but can can live and thrive and expand and and deep dive in other in other media. Um, it's a really kind of um, compelling and interesting way of thinking about narrative and thinking about not just story creation, but the fictional cre- the creation of that fictional world and how it can live and breathe beyond uh, simply beyond one medium. Um, it's a it's um, kind of like the long division of storytelling. It's a long game and it's a, it's a, an interesting creative challenge to kind of get your brain around. But once you do, um, I, I've found personally a lot of value in that. And I know that a lot of the folks on, on the call tonight have worked with clients who have also found a lot of value in that. Okay, excellent. Well, then on to Andrea. Andrea, uh, what is what is I'm 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 going to forestall the what Robert said uh, <laughs> trend that I can see going on here because um, uh, I agree that was an excellent uh, definition. But but what uh, g- give us an example, Andrea? Do you have an example that you could share with our listeners uh, as far as uh, a good example of uh, a transmedia storytelling experience? And of course, this is a leading question because you, you participated <laughs> in several of them. My my go to example right now is the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which I think ah uh, yes, is a brilliant web series. I wish I had something to do with it, but alas, I did not. Um, and it was a sort of modern day adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, where Lizzie Bennet was uh, essentially a video blogger. And the way that the story spun out, there was the main video blog that Lizzie Bennet was producing, but there were also a couple of separate ones produced by other characters. And all of the characters had had their own Twitter streams where they could have conversations with the the audience of the web series, which was uh, sort of an interesting meta layer because they're <laughs> they're viewers of a web series that's a web series within a web series, <laughs> if you follow. Um, and, and there was a really wonderful sort of playful interaction between the characters and the audience that way, where uh, a real connection was forged, where the audience felt like. You know, they were actually friends with these characters and had a stake in their emotional happiness. Okay. And and those were the actual actors themselves that were tweeting their roles, right? Oh, goodness, no. Oh, no, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is a common sort of misconception regarding transmedia. It's not the actors who do the tweeting, it's the writers. Ah. Um, it, it's fascinating because it is, in fact, performance. But the, the performance isn't visual and, and emotive on screen. It's it's performance purely through words, and the writers are the ones doing that live performance. That's an excellent point. And sometimes, yeah, and I think the point as well is that sometimes it's not always live. I mean, it is a scripted, it is a scripted um, experience. The writers have sat down and worked out what these characters are going to talk about, and so on. And then, you know, so. Okay. I think you have a couple of examples of people doing like versions of the character Twitter concept. Um, and I, like, I, it is important. I think that was a great thing to say, Andrea, that it's the writers doing it because it's part of what they write. Like, so that it's a performance they can handle, I guess. Um, <laughs> we, you know, with survivors characters, we've got six of them on Twitter and we sometimes play around with the scripting and that obviously yields high quality results, but we also play around with giving like one of our people, uh, I'm sure I, you know, quote unquote people and myself, um, some of the characters and letting them talk to each other for a while and see what happens, which is a really interesting experiment in character voice. Um, and a, you, we've seen a lot of like fan engagement in those moments because it's like when you get away from something that, uh, is so planned. Uh, it's interesting to see how people respond to them. Like you say, with that sort of investment and like, Oh, this is somebody I could talk to. And this is somebody I've been in their head for three books. So I, you know, I want to ask them things or I totally know how they would respond to this. So I will say it. Um, so I think, you know, we're starting to sort of see different versions of what to do with characters on things like Twitter. Um, so, and some great experiments and some done well and some we learn from because they don't go well <laughs> there. Well, that's an excellent point, Amanda. And, and thank you for bringing it up. And I'm going to throw it back to Robert. Um, uh, there, I, I think one of the biggest fears uh, of a writer entering into that transmedia vibe would be loss of control. That, that the story, as soon as, as, soon as you invite uh, uh, readers to, to in, in any way participate in the story, that, that it's n- no longer your story and you, and you can't control those, those peaks and valleys and the pacing and the tempo that, that makes for good storytelling. How, how would you respond to that? Well, I think um, there's, there's two different ways. I don't, I don't really see that um, you're losing control. You're inviting the audience into an environment 
that you are in control of. So you you define the parameters of the participation, and then you know the other the other side of that is welcome to the modern world. I mean, if you put some content out there, and whether you invite people to participate or not, they're gonna they're gonna take it over and they're gonna <laughs> mash it up and they're gonna leave like comments on it, and that is the people want to take part in that. And um, you know you can either just put it out there and then just um, you know, leave leave fate to take over, or you can you can think about audience participation from the beginning and give them a channel to actually help you create and grow and spread awareness of this world, which I think is obviously the better way. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So, so JC, the, the value of of transmedia storytelling uh, in terms of of both the, the creative expression, the artistic side of things, as well as you know the career and the monetary side. Talk us through that. Yeah, well, well, for me, you know, one of the things that that I think is pretty fun and interesting about transmedia storytelling, again, you know, kind of coming from hailing from this world of, you know, you're building a, a thriving and kind of living narrative ecosystem that can, that isn't adapted into other media, but is actually kind of, you know, the unique stories are told in these, in these different channels is that, you know, the concept of a, of a supporting character is actually pretty obsolete because that supporting character is, can be the star of their own series of stories or their own Twitter feed or their own Facebook page or or their own video blog series or whatever it, it, it might be. And it actually is pretty empowering to, you know, either tell those stories yourself as a, as kind of like the one man band of the, the creative visionary of a story world. Uh, but it's also really interesting to eat to either relinquish control of that to, to fans as we've discussed or, you know, trusted collaborators, you know, bring, bringing in um, other story professional storytellers to tell uh, those kind of spinoff stories that again, uh, tie in very closely with the canon and the continuity of, of the story world and the events that are unfolding in there. Or, or you know, events that took took place you know decades before or decades. Yeah, and before. that right there is a whole separate podcast. <laughs> Collaborative writing, holy crap! <laughs> oh, certainly, certainly. Um, but but in terms of the you know how this kind of can impact one's uh, career, uh, for for me, um, I have found it to be a pretty positive uh, experience to incorporate <clears throat> these storytelling techniques and the ability to think of the stories that I'm telling beyond one channel or one medium print is a terrific uh, vehicle for telling or text is a terrific vehicle of telling certain kinds of stories but um, they'll never kind of it'll never match the arresting impact of a single photo you know photograph in some instances sure. and and that doesn't have the same arresting impact as a video might and being somewhat fluent or having a working vocabulary in many disparate media actually and some and technology is, is actually kind of at the beating heart of what I think makes a, a pretty good uh, transmedia storyteller is seeing those narrative opportunities in those different media. Okay, so expanding your your uh, your consumption and your perception of those things that you're consuming uh, with the eye towards bringing your own story into that alternate media form. Now, do you, do you constitute audio as a separate media? in that respect? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you could have, um, <clears throat> you know, anything from audio field, you know, fictional field recordings, uh, you know, from, I don't know, a, a world war one trench, right? You know, that's, that's an audio experience, oh, wow. Yeah. you know, uh, and I'm just pulling that out of my butt. I mean, there's all kinds <laughs> of ways to kind of, uh, to do this or, you know, far flung, you know, future transmissions sent back into the past, which was, I think, um, one, uh, storytelling strategy that was used in the, uh, famous, I love bees alternate reality game in what 2002 maybe andrea is that right i think that it was actually a little bit later i think it was around 2003 or 4 because it was a real long wait between the beast uh and i love bees right right yeah. uh, but you know the point the point being is that um of you mm -hmm. know that audio can be effectively used uh to create you know and kind of distribute those that original spin-off content Excellent. I think we've seen a couple of examples too. Again, how that can be done sort of differently. Like what uh, Kate Pollinger's Inanimate Alice comes to mind, where she does you know video, I mean episodes. But one of the like I've worked in classrooms with students and in college classrooms for people who are going to teach that. 
Um, and one of the first things they always mention is the audio. And I've talked to Kate about that. She's like, we know that's the most uh, sort of arresting part, to use your word, JC, um, of the whole thing that can set the tone of what's going on. Um, I also even think back to like Rick Riordan's like the Kane Chronicles. They did a little mini transmedia campaign before the first book in that series came out. And they were like, scrambled recordings you know discovered somewhere that sort of set up story world in advance i mean things like that are and they were you know put out as youtube videos but there was no video attached to it i mean that audio can absolutely be you know a, a huge piece of story like anything else and sometimes the absence of the other elements attached to the audio is actually what makes it more impactful so they were released as youtube videos but it was just a static image on the front exactly <clears throat> oh, but i wow. think it's I think it was because it was the, I mean, that's where they had followers, right? So you, I mean, sure. you go to your audiences um, <laughs> and then yeah. to be fair, that was a major publisher and you don't always see them experimenting like that. So bravo. Yeah. But Yeah. And we did something, we did something recently, which was um, like a street game with text messaging, but that a text message would come back with um, like a URL inside. You clicked it and it would play an audio file. Okay. Because now you've got the smartphone. So the smartphone's got many capabilities, so it might receive a text, but you can easily flip media within within that, depending what you want to, what story you're telling. Okay. okay, that's a great point too. Yeah. Now, now, Andrea, I, I know that you've you've worked with uh, uh, websites as as vehicles for for some of the the transmedia experience. And does does a website constitute a, a, a transmedia experience? <laughs> One website is not a transmedia experience, but I, I think if you have a bunch of websites together, I would totally call that a transmedia experience. Okay. Um, I, I'm not one to be hung up on definitions. The, the wonderful thing about using uh, a website is that you can sort of fabricate a piece of a fictional world and, and make it feel like it's a real place that your audience has stumbled upon, uh, a kind of a, a dream state where the fiction is, is seeping into the real world. And I really, really love that, that, that <clears throat> feeling of sort of tangibility and reality. There's a, a, an emotional texture you can get when you're, when you're doing that kind of interaction where you can evoke a different palette of emotions than you can when you're just doing an ordinary, flat, non-interactive, passive work. I mean, uh, non-interactive and passive stuff can be absolutely magnificent and moving and extremely emotional, um, but it's really, really hard for a regular film to make you feel guilty about the murder you've, that you've seen on screen, right. where in a transmedia narrative, you can actually make your audience feel like it's their fault They're responsible. that person was murdered, like <laughs> they should have been able to save her. So, um, so, and in that in that engagement with the audience, then you actually get their emotional investment as well as any other investment. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's an entirely different range of emotions. You can make people feel proud. You can make people feel, you know, extremely <clears throat> frustrated. Okay. Now, I think a lot of people have felt frustrated by movies and books, but it's usually not an intentional thing that, <laughs> that they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think the thing, I mean, like on the business side of like what Andrew is saying there is like, so our, our um, sort of like tagline at the company is be remarkable. So not just be the, be the best, but do stuff that people remark upon, people that, you know, do stuff that people want to talk about and tell their friends about. And it's such a competitive marketplace for like content. There's like hundreds of books, millions of books and, you know, hundreds of videos and, and so on. And so if you can do something that really affects people and gets them talking and maybe they can take a piece of your content that's on social media and share it with a friend, you know, you're, you're building in advocacy into what is an entertainment property. So it's really, you know, I would say fundamental to the creation, the, the creative sort of exploration of these, uh, of these properties now that you start thinking about how are people going to discover this and how are they going to share it with their friends? So basically as, as you're telling your story, as you're crafting the tale and preparing it, you, you actually consider what putting like, I'm going to use a metaphor of a tab where people can tear it off and say, check this out. So, so there's something other than, Hey, go to the author's website or, or go to Amazon and check out this story. You're providing them with, with additional contexts for yeah. the story experience yeah like so for example like often um like you know like people might do a book trailer but why would i send a book trailer to someone that's like basically spamming my friend but if you were to take an episode from that story world and instead of doing a trailer you actually tell someone's 
story, something that actually had some like proper emotional value and it was contributing to the, the whole experience, then I'm more likely to, to share that because it's going to affect me quite differently than, than a piece of advertising, which the trailer is. You, you give something instead of just asking for something. It's a, a much more elegant technique. <laughs> well, and your goal is is to provide content, not just to awaken desire for something they don't have. Which, <laughs> yeah. you know. Or even awaken desire for content. Because if you're looking at story only as book, as so many people do, in, like, in the book trailer example, then it's almost like you're using media, ignoring the fact that you're using a new media to, to promote an old media, when instead you can be using multiple media to be all a part of the story. And that's kind of what's where the point gets missed a lot. I mean, not this group. You guys get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for our listeners, absolutely. Now, yeah. I, there's there's been a lot of gold tossed onto the table and some tasty bits. And 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 Matt, I want to I want to ask you and, and open up the floor to you. What what do you want to explore? What do you want? What do you want to hear more about in this? Well, we've we've sort of started to explore it already, but I'm I'm very curious as someone who who had a brief brief flirtation with uh, interactive marketing and uh, uh, that side of of the transmedia sphere. Uh, I'm I'm very curious to to hear from our panel examples of transmedia storytelling that was not in the service of some tentpole. Uh, piece of content yeah. and and it's kind of a two-part thing and I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with how to phrase it because I'm curious about that but I'm also curious and this is I think part of that is well, I guess the best way to put it is are transmedia projects more fun for creators than they are popular to consumers Ooh. <laughs> well I'll um, I'll do my best to, to have an answer that kind of accommodates both of those um, and I'll, I'll use an example um, I know that, um, and maybe some of the other panelists can talk about some of the, the very successful, um, you know, uh, independent alternate reality games that have been released recently, or even the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is worth, you know, it's worth beating that drum again. Um, but for me, from personal experience, um, I worked on um, a transmedia novel uh, called uh, Personal Effects Dark Art, and on its own, it was not in support of, you know, this, this transmedia experience was not in support of another uh, IP or a, a larger, you know, a larger film or it wasn't a loss leader for uh, you know a television show or a film it instead was its its own work, transmedia work and the novel was a traditional novel that you could read from cover to cover but in, in, in included with the novel were photographs and uh, you know like fake IDs and legal documents and business cards <laughs> and all kinds of you know crazy neat you know art of personal artifacts that came with the book that you know com- worked together with the text of the novel to spin um, interested players or interested readers into a narrative that went beyond the pages of the book into the internet and you know, phone and whatnot. Sounds like those and Dragonology books that have all it, those little right, folders yeah, yeah. and pockets and shit. Yeah, and it was and it was um a lot of fun to ideate, as we say in the business. Oh, and, really? Uh, write write that fu- one down, kids. That's <laughs> yeah. important. Yeah, I love when, that every, time, every time you say it, you have to say, like, who farted? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> ideate. But anyway, um, so it was really fun to conceive and really fun to write and really fun to watch a team of creators, uh, you know, along with me, you kind of birth this thing um, and set it free into the world. Now, it could have been the timing of the, the book's release in 2009 before the tablet computing and the magic sheet of glass that talks to the sky that you know this <laughs> ipad thing right that that loads video and audio and websites and can dial phone numbers with the, the tap of a finger all of that stuff hadn't happened yet and what we found was that um the project wasn't uh, as successful as we or the publisher had hoped uh not necessarily because of the quality of the writing at least i hope not but because you know grown-ups didn't want to go to bed, read a book, and have their laptop open while they're reading the book to go to a website that's mentioned in the book. And the the experience, the user experience and the flow from one transmedia artifact or experience to the other wasn't as finely tuned, at least in this particular instance, as it, as it had as it either had been for, you know, past projects or for the kind of stuff that we might see uh, with, you know, uh, electronic books that are books as apps, right? Stuff like that. Um, and, and what I found was that this thing was 
a hell of a fun thing to write and, and create and was a hell of a fun thing for the kind of people who were either initiated into transmedia storytelling or whose curiosity, you know, as a newcomer propelled them into the, into the beyond the, the narrative um, book, I mean, experience. Uh, but largely, um, it, it fell flat because we overestimated either the quality of what we were doing or the curiosity and the, the, the drive of our consumers. Does that make sense? It does. I, I wonder, you know, given four years or so, how much that attitude has changed for the consumer. Well, I'd, I'd like to think that, um, and this is me speaking personally, and then I'll, I'll hush up. I'd like to think <laughs> that um, if personal effects was, you know, had been kind of released today, uh, it would have been packaged as an app and promoted as an app and, and would have talked to the web and it would have had completely digital assets, nothing, you know, analog, nothing physical, um, and it would have, you know, and would have probably been much more engaging and would have found the, the audience that I personally think it deserved. But I, d I don't know if even if we released that print, that printed analog experience today, I still don't know if it would resonate with uh, readers as an analog based experience. Well, this segues gracefully over to Amanda, who has actually created an app that creates books as apps. So Amanda, weigh in here. What are your opinions? You know, I was just thinking, um, so Immerse Edition, like the long and the short of it is that it's you're reading what look like book pages and you're it's curated by watermark style icons that tell you what kind of interaction you're about to have. Whether it's a primary source historical document, um, Google Earth to see where you are, or where a character's going, um, you know, or it's made up legends or, you know, original music. It's a million different things for different stories and what kind of content at the right place. Um, I am on your timeline, uh, JC, that uh, in 2009, um, I wrote Survivors and tried to have discussions with people in publishing about, imagine one day you're holding a Kindle and you could the words and this would happen and this thing would play and music would play and you could, you know, you could see all this stuff. And they were like, wow, please stop talking, you know. <laughs> you're high. You're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, I was because I was in graduate school at the time and I, you know, I just kept talking to people and they kept being like, oh kid please <laughs> you're so cute <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and um you know and i finished uh my grad work within a month of when the ipad came out and sort of sort of so transformed my life because i looked at it and went that that is the thing on which you can do the thing i've been saying <laughs> like and it's um and you know that's what would eventually become immerse edition in terms of whether or not that would find an audience um you know i think Gosh, I don't know. I have days where I think this is, you know, I know why we've come as far as we have. And I know why I build stories the way that I do in this giant, huge way. And, you know, it's nothing compared to the way some of you guys build them. So why you build them in these giant, huge, wonderful ways that you do. And I think people like what we see out of what people want in a story, it seems to fit and it seems to make sense. But at the same time, like even though they're hugely successful examples of story, transmedia story worlds, it's not like their household name successful transmedia story worlds yet. Um, and I mean, please prove me wrong if I'm wrong on that, because I, you know, I have to say, be like, what do you mean? But um, I think there's an element of, yes, because the format makes more sense, it's more conducive to the audience, um, having the craving for it, or at least I hope that's the case. And I think we're starting to see that more and more as form has caught up with the the fiction and the concept and the content. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I still think it's, a, I think for those of us who've been in the game for a while, even if it's a short while, it's still longer than most people who have been thinking about the consuming stories in these ways. Um, I, I would argue that it feels like we should be further than we are. Maybe that's just me having a long day of meetings and thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's like many different things like to pick up on that because the the publishers, their industry is crumbling, but they don't want to admit it yet. And they have a business where they don't understand who the readers are. They only understand who the retailers are, if that. And their workflow is we get like a bunch of words and we stick it in the same format and then we like send it out the door. And what we're describing now with these transmedia uh, books is is the fact that each thing is crafted into that story world so every time they develop an app although they'd like to have a template app with the same widget on every page if that's not if that's not in keeping with the story then the app ought to ought to change and that's something that 
the publishers don't like because it's increasing the cost of actually getting the book out for starters. Sure. Right. And it, and the complexity you know, of the process of making sure. the book I mean, in the first place. They're looking, I mean, I can tell you for every day that I spend in publishers offices, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. They're looking for the most reproducible solution. So it looks the most like their existing book production process. Um, <laughs> that yeah. doesn't really help when you're trying to innovate. Sure. <laughs> um, now, now, hold on just a sec. I, I can hear Andrea actually jumping up and down on her cell phone. Yes. Uh, what were you going to say, Andrea? <laughs> You know, this is this is sort of going going backwards in the conversation just a, a little bit. But back in 2001, I was actually a, a player for the Beast rather than a creator of it. Um, this this first alternate reality game, and it was a, a tremendous fire hose of content. Um, <laughs> new new websites every every week, and tremendous puzzles. It took a community of 6,000 people, you know, a, a full week to kind of work through all of it, and. It was, it was kind of keeping up with it. it was very much like having a part-time job. It was all-consuming. It wasn't really possible to play through this game in anything like a serious way and care about it and do anything else with your life. Yeah. And that's yeah. really hard. Right. And I've found over time, uh, I and I think other designers, I, I'm, I've spoken to about this very problem, have kind of backed away from this idea that it has to be so much. Right. And even starting to question the idea that you have to create separate pieces of media to create the feeling of having separate pieces of media. So, for example, these all-in-one apps where you can perhaps leaf through a photo album and look at a birth certificate without actually leaving the frame of the single app. Um, so I think the trend I'm seeing a lot of transmedia design is, is to be more sparing with how the transmedia elements are applied to make sure that you're doing them in a more elegant and purposeful way than simply providing a lot of content across a lot of platforms because you can. Um, can you give an example? I mean, one of the things that I... Well, I, I, <laughs> um, I'm not sure I can give a, a diplomatic example, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk in, in vague terms. Um, oh, please, I, I please, do be undiplomatic. In a, <laughs> I see. I can't think of anything. It's a common thing, for example, for uh, a marketing team to want to build an app because apps are super hot right now. We have to have something on mobile. And they don't question whether anything that they could possibly do on mobile in an app is actually beneficial to the whole. Um, it's relevant to story world, really. I mean, that's yeah. Kind of, yeah. Do the people <laughs> making those decisions care if the app is relevant to the story world? Usually not. Not always. Right. And I mean, I think, I think you're making a really interesting point though, that it's sort of like we, like I, we, Immersed Edition is weird because it's, we, it's, we talk about transmedia storytelling and we have all these pieces that exist on multiple platforms, but realistically then I built an app to house all that content in one place. So it's the antithesis of transmedia storytelling at the same time. <laughs> um, and it depending, and I think, but it speaks to a kind of what you're saying. I, and I think it's kind of what we've seen and why we developed the way we have, which is that, I mean, you have fans and I, I wouldn't even necessarily say readers, but maybe people who come more from the gaming side, like these, I mean, people who have been in the alternative reality space and things who will follow you down the rabbit hole and who that's, that's their kind of consumption. But if we're trying to get to sort of your main media consumer, um, I still think you have to have something that feels like a centralized experience enough that they know what to do next, what to click next, mm -hmm. what to play next, what to read next, whatever it is. So right? it's UI <laughs> development almost. Yeah. I was just thinking of that. It's it's the it's the golden rule of UI. Don't make the user work. No, it's exactly what it is. And in a way, I think that's reflective of our entire storytelling concept right now. If, if you want people to get to these new spaces and really consume them, it's, you have to offer something that feels new and awesome and exploratory and can feel like something you can dive deeper into. But there is still, in some weird way, a, a central narrative and then a still central second or not second narrative, but almost like even when you're starting to inclu include these subsequent and supplemental pieces that they really are clear. And um, I mean, I think that's kind of the challenge we all have right now is to make sure you can both offer people things that are still big story world worthy, but are so user friendly enough that they yeah. make sense yeah. In, yeah. to someone who doesn't know what transmedia is and has never thought about it. Sure.
We're going to continue this conversation, but I want to go one time real quick around the table. Uh, uh, by now, dear friends, you, you, you can hear the, the, the experience and, and the vast awesomeness of, of this panel of luminaries. So I want to give everybody a chance real quick uh, uh, to let our listeners know where they can find their stuff and themselves on the web uh, and, and uh, to what, what cool things they can be looking for in the near future. Uh, Robert, I'll start off with you since I, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a long list of, of places where people... <laughs> People can can touch you on the web, as it were. <laughs> oh, yes, quite. It's that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the easiest place to get me is on Twitter as Rob Pratton, P R A T T E N, and um, you can my website and the uh, the products that we uh, that we sell is conductor.com, which is also with double T uh, E R. Okay, very good. Uh, J C, how about you, sir? Well, uh, folks who are interested in learning more about me and my work can visit my website, jchutchins.net. And uh, whenever I um, have a new project uh, that is you know, being released, I make a lot of noise about it on Twitter and on that website. Um, I've got a couple of projects coming out, I think, in October. One of them is the Cronenberg-Weiler project, which was uh, really cool to work on. Mm. Another one is a um, really neat um, ex- uh, experience uh, for a uh, luxury car brand that will be coming out, I believe, in October, too. So um, that's really really cool and i've got some nda stuff that i'm kind of sniffing around you know how this works like everyone's kind of sniffing each other but no one's yet quite you know decided to do the deed well i got a lot of sniffing going on so we'll see what what uh, happens uh, in, in the weeks ahead it's like a pack of dogs around here holy smokes um uh, amanda how about you where can we find where can we find uh, uh, immerse edition and where can we find you um, well, I am findable at all. I mean, on Twitter is also a great place to start. I'm, I'm Amanda at Amanda Havard. It's like Harvard without the first R, I've learned to say. Um, <laughs> and uh, same thing, AmandaHavard.com, Facebook.com slash Amanda Havard. Immerse Edition um, is all of those places too. Um, you know, it's Immerse Edition spelled like the word immerse and then the word edition, but with only one E in the middle. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, our website really kind of gives you a tour of, you know, what to experience or what you can expect out of the Immerse Edition. And Survivors is Facebook.com slash the Survivors will have sort of the central hub for all that that story world builds. Awesome. Very cool. And Andrea, how about you? Uh, I am most easily found on Twitter. I'm Andrea there, but it's spelled wrong, A-N-D-R-H-I-A. Uh, <laughs> I also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long story. Um, I also have a blog, uh, which is at my name spelled correctly, andreaphillips.com, which is A-N-D-R-E-A-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Uh, and, of course, the, the really interesting thing I'm doing right now is my pirate serial, Lucy Smokehart. Uh, I should say, The Daring Adventures of Captain Lucy Smokehart. (laughs) Which is uh, kind of a goofy little pirate romp. It's It's a rejection of the Game of Thrones aesthetic, which takes itself really seriously and is really dark all the time. And I wanted to do something that was kind of the opposite of that in every conceivable way. Uh, And... And you can find Lucy Smokehart at lucysmokehart.com, and I'll let you figure out how to spell that one as the first puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) And with many more to come. Yeah. (laughs) And dear friends, I will make sure that all of that awesome information uh, uh, gets put into the liner notes of the podcast, so as people are listening, they can go, oh, I've got to click that, and they can right there. So um, the discussion thus far has, has led us... Uh, uh, touched on several intriguing elements, and 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 obviously there's a great deal more to to transmedia storytelling. There, there's UI considerations, there's media considerations, there's and and there's storytelling. And and Amanda, I'm going to use your words uh, of creating in, in giant, huge, and wonderful ways. Uh, uh, a, a lot of our listeners, I, I think, are are intrigued and enticed by transmedia storytelling, but they don't know how to think in those gr- giant, huge, wonderful ways. So uh, I know two people on the panel have, have written books on this subject, and the other two could probably write their own if they had chose to. Uh, so uh, let, me, let me ask, how does one start thinking, uh, how does one translate a story that they're developing into a transmedia experience? How do they need to think? What do they need to consider? And, and what are their first steps? Uh, Robert, I'll, I'll lead off with you, sir. So um, the way that we advocate is to take a piece of paper, divide it into two columns, and then in the first column, just start to write your synopsis. And in the right-hand column, start thinking about the audience participation. 
Like, so you're used to saying, you know, you know a book. If I pick up the book, all the information is going to be in there. But now with these two columns, you can start to say, right, this is, this is the story I want to tell. And in the right-hand column, you're writing down how that information might present itself, whether it's on a blog or maybe it's for a, a conversation with a character on Twitter. Maybe that's going to be like an audio file. And that's, that's really the way to start. And then I would say just dive in and start experimenting with some like little test projects and see because there's no substitute for actually doing it. And I think one of the biggest problems I find um, – is that people sit around waiting for like massive budgets or saying, oh, if only I had this, then I would do it. But actually, you know, what, what we've been hearing is that it's still an emerging sort of area and um, it needs a lot more experimentation and it needs a lot more kind of investigation and a lot more trial and error. And I think people should be, you know, ready to just just give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, and and we've we've already found that you know podcasters have already delved into the audio media section of things. Everybody has either an iPad or an iPhone, so the video end of things uh, is is not closed to you. You don't need that massive budget. That's awesome, absolutely. Yeah, and even if you, I mean, even if you were just going to tell the story, like on a Tumblr post, like finding the right images, for example, that uh, okay. communicate as well as. You know, the, you know, it doesn't cost anything to set up a Tumblr. It doesn't cost anything to set up some characters on, on Twitter, and just and just see what it feels like to tell stories across this across these two uh, medium, rather than like making the the um, you know some other kind of traditional platform to go to the go to platform. Okay, excellent, Andrea. How about you? How 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 do you how would you nurture somebody into a a transmedia frame of mind? I, I guess the place that I would tell someone to start is, is to look at a story because we're, we're talking to people here who, who are already fluent in stories right. to some extent. And find the places where there's more story that didn't actually make it onto the screen, onto the page. I mean, every story is a curated series of events to begin with, and that means there are always things that happened before, after, and in the middle that simply aren't a part of what's relevant in the moment for a particular story being presented. Um, and some of those stories can be really compelling. Uh, sometimes, even if you don't have one in mind, you can create a story that makes the, the sort of main thread even more uh, emotive. You can, you can amp up the pathos just by adding more meaning or significance to a moment that seems kind of ordinary uh, before that. Um, one of my absolute favorite things, actually, is, is finding, um, in the 2012 project, actually, uh, <laughs> there was this sort of funny moment in the movie where, where uh, Woody Harrelson offers uh, John Cusack a pickle, and it was the strangest thing when I saw it in a screening, just this weird moment that came out of nowhere, I thought, I've got to do something with these pickles. <laughs> oh my God, that was incredible. <laughs> so we, we created this character, Charlie Frost, through, through this sort of prequel narrative to be a, a kind of pickle aficionado and he made his own and it was this really big deal and sometime toward the end of the project he 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 wrote this post i should say i wrote this post where he was talking about what pickles mean to him about kind of life and normalcy and enjoying the simple things before the apocalypse and uh, my, my intent there you'll have to tell me if it worked my intent there was to take that weird pickle moment in the film itself and turn it into something that that it wouldn't have been before. It was it was a surprise. It was a gift to the viewer. Yeah, and it yeah. had sort of hidden meaning. Well, and it, it's like it's like I was part of a a, a, a secret club that that got inside track, and it's like, ooh, I know what that means. I know how he feels about mm -hmm. that pickle. Absolutely. Um, Amanda, how about you? How how do people transition into this into this giant, huge, wonderful way of thinking? You know, I tend, I like the idea of what Andrea said about, um, you know, think of all the story that doesn't end up on the page or on the screen. Yeah, um, me too. You know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to writers. I mean, Dave, you and I met at, you know, a, a conference for writers and readers and essentially um, talk, you know, I think we, we go to tell a story. You really use 
inspiration and concepts sort of from all over your life. And you spend all that time, whether you realize it or not, making the perfect playlist for that character or staring at Pinterest and being like, he would totally wear that leather jacket. Um, <laughs> or doing, you know, just thinking of these things. And, um, or at least I do. I mean, I don't know. I, I know <laughs> of course, there. everybody does. You bet they do. Right. So I think those things become really powerful character information. And though they don't always have reason to end up on the page, or even sometimes they are a pickle moment, right? And it's one offhand dimension of something. Um, those things are the seeds of what can eventually be your transmedia. So, you know, if there are songs, you know, I mean, it's as simple as people, I mean, I don't, this isn't hugely official transmedia, but that idea of like having a playlist to go along with your narrative or like a soundtrack moment, so to speak, like in a story, like this is what's playing or this could tell this part of the story. Like those are good seeds to plant. And then, I, I mean, I, like Rob mentioned Tumblr, I should have mentioned before, like we're doing a retelling of survivors on Tumblr, some of which I would say is a great thing to look at, but others, I think there are even different ways that are smaller to do it that you could just put on. I mean, it's just showing more about character than you have the chance to in other, ch in other places. Um, that's a really good place to start with transmedia and, and things kind of grow organically from there sometimes because of what inspires you as a writer and story world creator. And sometimes once you're finally out there showing it to people, just based on what people hook onto and you're like, Oh wow, that really resonated with the people in my story world. Now sure. we're going to go with it. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and we had uh, uh, an author, Nathan Lowell, uh, on uh, way, way back. He was one of our first guests on the roundtable. And he had pointed out that, you know, if you if you write down an idea, that idea is going to spur six other ideas. Right. So so what you and Andrea and Robert are, are advocating where you create this and find a place for those ideas, that makes perfect sense. JC, you're the sweeper, man. Uh, uh, how, how would you warp somebody's mind and into embracing and cogitating? And what, what's the word? Intellating, ideating, ideating, ideating on on a train. Oh, who farted? Who farted? On a on a transmedia level. Well, you know, ultimately, the thing that I that I find most refreshing to say is, you don't have to do it. I mean, you don't have to do any of it. You can write your book if you're an author, or you can write your screenplay if you're a screenwriter, or whatever, or do your performance art or whatever it's going to be and understand. And I, I'll cite a personal, uh, personal um, project that I'm working on um, in, in which I, it's like a, you know, supernatural story, supernatural thriller, blah, blah, blah. I'm working on it. Uh, and, and I know that the core uh, the the first channel in which this content or this story world will be debuting is through e-fiction, e-book e fiction. Right. But I have built, you know, a, a pretty thoughtful kind of story world and continuity that can accommodate not only, you know, spinoffs uh, for prequels and sequels, but, you know, entirely uh, different genres of, of fiction that can unfold in entirely different um, media. And none of that need be revealed to uh, my audience ever. It largely depends on if my my story, my my core story, you know, my first foray, you know, the story world's first, you know, uh, shipment out into the world is in in ebook fiction. That's largely going to define if the rest of it can be monetarily subsidized, right? Is the financial <laughs> success of that? So, you know, while while there is um, a, a, a deep and, and a deep passion that I have for transmedia storytelling. I also encourage folks to be pretty judicious in, in how they, you know, how they conceive it and, and how they, uh, and how they execute it. The last thing you want to do is to have your eyes. And I've been involved with, with projects, but like this, but more frequently I've seen it happen to other folks' projects is that their eyes are bigger than their, than their stomachs or, or, <laughs> no. their, or, or their budgets, frankly. And they either run out of time, money or manpower to successfully execute what might otherwise be a really ambitious and resonant experience. Now, creators have tools to, to help kind of mitigate that risk. You know, Robert's Conductor is a terrific platform to, to help to kind of ease the pain there. And, Absolutely. And, and we've heard, you know, other folks who have these, who have uh, equally cool um, approaches, but, but need not feel uh, obligated to, to release, you know, your, your content or your story world simultaneously in all these different, uh, in, in all these different channels. If it, if it risks compromising the quality of the story that you're telling. Okay. 
That, that's sound advice. That's very sound advice. And I, I'm certainly one of those that whose eyes are bigger than his fingers, at least as far as the typing goes. So that, that's brilliant. I think a key, a, key, a key phrase that came to me um, earlier when people were, were talking about, you know, the volume of content that goes out, um, and then it, it's come back to me now with uh, JC speaking then, is, is this phrase, the active creation of belief. And because it's quite different from the suspension of disbelief. Because when, when you're thinking about, well, I need, to, I need to get people to suspend their disbelief, then it leads you to like create loads of, loads of websites and loads of stuff that maybe um, is going over the top. Whereas if you think like, well, you know, I've got this ambition and I agree, I totally agree with JC, like, you know, do something, do something well and then see what you've got the resources to do next. But then when you're thinking about expanding, think, well, what is like to use this phrase, minimum viable product. So what is like the minimum I can do to start helping with this active creation of belief to make these characters come to life? And that's a much better way to think of it than, um, than trying to sort of do too much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and guys, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, God, we could keep doing this for like another hour <laughs> at least. Uh, uh, but but I, I think... First of all, thank you for, uh, dear friends, for for joining us, and and I think we've 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 touched the surface. We've delved down into some of the the concerns and some of the opportunities represented here, uh, uh, and and there's links in the liner notes for anybody that wants to go uh, uh, and find out more because every one of these individuals speaks at length and most articulately uh, about their craft. And in fact, I think Robert, I spent several hours going through your PowerPoint <laughs> presentations that were very, very insightful uh, in that process. I highly recommend those as well. Um, but uh, uh, so just to wrap things up, I want to turn back to my wingman, Matt, uh, Matt, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. What are you taking away from this amazing discussion? Well, I, th I think it's it's encouraging to hear some of the comments tonight because uh, I'm uh, to say I'm a transmedia skeptic would be too strong uh, a phrase. <laughs> I, I, I think I think uh, I think the phrase transmedia is is thrown around a bit more than it than it should be or, or in, in situations where maybe it, it isn't even necessary and it might scare people read uh, you know uh, audience away mm -hmm. but what I'm hearing tonight really is the overarching idea that the most important thing is story and yeah. there's especially toward the end here there's been a lot of talk of of just create your story and if you find opportunities I call them buds as in the buds off of a coral. Okay. If you find opportunities to, to, to have buds in your story as you're constructing it, and, and I know there are purists out there who will cringe at the idea of constructing a story, oh implying that there's any kind of formula or structure. Oh well, my gosh, no. <laughs> I don't think that's terrible. <laughs> Not so much in this room, but, you know. <laughs> sure, they're out there. We've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, tell your story. And, and, and be uh, a, a story is a directed experience, no matter what media it's in. And uh, I think as long as uh, nobody loses touch with that or sight of that, then, uh, then there's great potential for the, uh, what hopefully will become uh, a new art form. Um, but I would, I would just sort of like spin that a little differently because you could write the best story and if it sits in your bottom drawer, it sits on a website that no one ever visits and reads, yeah. then is it really a great story? Does it really exist? So I think the most important thing is connecting with an audience. And you, obviously you want to do that through the story, but it also means like what platforms am I going to go out on? How are people going to find my story? How are people going to connect with that? And how are they going to advocate for the story that I've written and introduce their friends to it? So that... That is why we're talk why transmedia storytelling is so important today, because anybody can sit down at a keyboard and call themselves a writer, and they can put stuff put out their ebook, or whatever they want to do. But if you want to, you know, make a living, and you want to, you know, by being funded directly from the audience, then you then you need to build that, and you and you need to think about who my audience is and where are they, and how am I going to am I going to turn them into advocates so they can bring new audience in. Sure. Sure. I don't disagree, but, but uh, I mean, for years I've been saying that it's not art until someone other than the creator 
of that <laughs> product experiences it, you know. Um, but I think, uh, what I, I guess what I was saying is not disregarding the, uh, the marketing side of things, how you're going to reach your audience, not disregarding that, but, um, you know, the, the converse is true. You know, you could have a lousy story and reach a huge audience and uh, get enough people to, to take it in that you can make a living. Not that that's um, ever happened. <laughs> Surely, that's not. why. I, that's why I say concentrate Obviously. on the story. Those, yeah. those opportunities are only available to a few, and this the job the transmedia storytelling is available to everybody. Yeah, and that's that's why it's so liberating. So? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so? yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think if people think too often, people write their story and they don't think enough about who the audience is, because if they well, I'm writing this for myself. But if they think about who the audience is and they think about that this story is making a contribution to that particular community, then you can really, you can really connect and you can really, I think it, yeah, I think it is available to many. Yeah. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm not quite understanding what you're saying because uh, from what I've heard in the conversation, transmedia is the, literally the medium that you choose to tell the mediums that you choose to, to tell the story in, um, uh, knowing where your audience is and going to them um the two don't seem help me help me connect those two yeah because there used to be if we just take books there used to be an industry where there was a limited supply of books and most people only buy what they browse in the store or what they see has been reviewed on like the new york times bestseller list but now there's an opportunity for anybody to get onto that new york times bestseller list if they can empower an audience to advocate on their behalf because someone then, a curator, the guy that puts that list together will, will be able to discover your book. And now anybody can put their book onto, um, you know, onto Kindle or, or some other platform and, and go directly to their audience. And that's not been available before. And so right, but problem, how is that transmedia storytelling to put your book on a Kindle? So doing that is not transmedia storytelling. But if you only do that, it's going to sit there never being discovered. So although the opportunity is now presented for you to be able to, to sell the book directly to the audience, the only way you're going to find that audience is by thinking in terms of transmedia storytelling to say like, where am I going to find that audience? And rather than thinking of it as a separate marketing process, thinking of it, right, I've written the book and now I need to think about how I'm going to market this thing by throwing money at the problem, which many of the publishers do because they have those resources and the connections. What you're saying is as an independent creator, the marketing, if you want to put that in quotes, is part of the creative process. And I can take characters that are, that are in this book and I can bring them to life on social media, on text messaging, email, in these other areas and that can really inspire people and it can really connect and that resonating because you've got this, you know, this active creation of belief helps bring new audience to that, to that book. And that's okay, why transmedia storytelling is important. Sure, I'm, you, with you. You, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think you lost me when, when, when you said it was the only way, but, but I, I get what you're saying now. Absolutely. I don't disagree at all. Sure. And if you're putting a book out on Kindle or, or, or Smashwords or, or Barnes and Noble or whatever, you're already assuming, and if that's the only way you're putting your book out, then you're assuming that your, your, your demographic, your readership has a certain level of, of, of tech uh, at their disposal. Maybe not a great one, but enough to go to YouTube or enough to load up a Tumblr page or a Pinterest page or, or access a podcast. Uh, uh, and, and so you can, you can reach out that way. Is, is that a, a fair assessment? Do you think? I think? Again, it just depends on your, depends on your audience. I mean, and, and their age as well. But the, um, you know, if you, we started with the Lizzie Bennett diaries, that right. audience, that sort of like young teen audience, they they are actively looking for these other platforms. I mean, when, if a character in the video mentions a website or they mentions that they tweeted with another character, the audience is going looking for that tweet. They are going looking for that website. And if they don't find it, then it breaks that kind of immersion that they, that they want, that they find so attractive. That they expect these days. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Well, and, and, and for me, what, what, all of you have have served for me is to is to crystallize my understanding of of at least for me the power of transmedia which is you know and it ties back to to robert's 
comment about the active creation of belief and Andrea's pointing out of the opportunity to create emotive moments uh, uh, that, that, that by creating these, these other media experiences, we take uh, a story, which in, in the metaphor I'm going to use is a 2d experience and make it a 3d process and, and provide context for the experience of the events and the characters in the primary story by providing background and alternative perspectives and views of the elements that are at the heart of that story. Uh, and, and that, as, as, as a storyteller, just makes me very spiritually erect. That's just awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, as, as I expected, we, we went uh, uh, long past the time that we intended, and I'm so very glad that we did, because uh, this has been nothing short of literary gold, storytelling gold all around. So, uh, Andrea Phillips, Amanda Havard, J.C. Hutchins, and Robert Pratton, uh, dear friends, thank you so much for, for sharing so generously of your time and and basically casting bolts of enlightenment out into the potosphere. This has been spectacular. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Dave. We appreciate thank it. You. Absolutely. And and Matt, you are the veteran wingman, and I am so grateful that you were here to add your your perspective and your insight and, and shape the discussion accordingly. I really appreciate it, sir. Oh, it was it was good fun. Very it, enlightening. Well, it really was. It really was. Absolutely. So, dear friends, uh, uh, this brings uh, our second episode of the Roundtable Dialogues to a close. Uh, the Roundtable is still on hiatus. Uh, I'm still dealing with the issues that have caused that. And again, as always, thank you so much for your support as I go through that. That's a constant source of strength for me and I'm deeply grateful. So I don't know when the next one's going to be, but trust me, I've already got another like five of these things planned out and we will continue to grab and draw in uh, another panel of incredibly experienced and articulate individuals to continue to, to shine a light upon the sometimes murky trail that stands before writers writing in this new age of storytelling. So until I see you again, dear friends, as always, you find what you're looking for. So, so look for the awesome stuff. Look for the top-label blue-shelf goodness, and you will find it. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Dialogues is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you want. You can even use pieces of it in your own productions, provided you attribute the Roundtable Podcast as the source and release it under the same licensing terms. We'd like to extend a special thanks to our exceptional panelists. Amanda Habbard, Andrea Phillips, J.C. Hutchins, and Robert Pratton. And special thanks to my co-host, Matthew Wayne Selznick. Your generosity in sharing your experiences and insights is deeply appreciated and served to make this a truly remarkable discussion. Dear friends, stay tuned. There are more Roundtable Dialogues to come. And while we can't tell you exactly when they'll be appearing, we can tell you the discussion will be epic. Thanks for listening.